Hey, everybody. It's uh, John Wells again. This is another episode. In fact, this is the first episode of the year um, of the Deming Profound podcast. So we're going to take a little sort of detour or turn uh, here in that um, we're going to talk about burnout today and, um, and, you know, and uh, sort of give you my thoughts. It's going to be a two-part. Um, over the holidays, I was uh, with my family. We were down in Florida. Uh, we did a little bit sort of Key West thing or the Keys, and then we we always loved doing Disney as a family. The thing I love about Disney is no matter how older kids get, they still are kids when you go to Disney. Anyway, so um, on one of the days we were heading out to Epcot, and I got a call, it, or it was a text, and it was um, somebody in our community um, and uh, they were basically looking for help in, in this um, sort of it was it, it sounded to me like they needed some help from sort of burnout or something was going on. And I told my wife, just go ahead without me. I'll catch up. And and um, I've learned over the years that, like, if somebody reaches out to me on this particular subject, I uh, I respond like I, I sort of unless it's sort of. Um, you know, there's something sort of emergency with my family or something like this. I, I typically drop everything I'm working on and I deal with it. Um, and um, long story short, you know, in 2015, um, I had written a blog article on uh, Gene Kim's IT revolution called Carriage Satu, <laughs> Death from Overwork. And it was um, it was sort of a, a culmination of a couple of things. One is um, this gentleman that I had met in the Atlanta community. Uh, when I first moved back to Atlanta, um, we got to know each other pretty well. Um, I, um, he was building a business where he was going to build consultants from these universities that were sort of in the middle of nowhere, but had really good computer science. It was a pretty good business plan. And he asked me if I would go down and meet the professors of Aldasta. That's way south Georgia. So like literally a three plus hour drive. And I was like, Sure. And, um, and we drove down there and like he told me about his business and he was so sort of energetic. And then, you know, in the ride home, you know, we talked about sort of life and, you know, just um, just all it was just one of those sort of things where you get to know somebody really good. And then a couple of months later, I got a call from his business partner and find out he committed suicide. And, and I just couldn't understand it. I just couldn't under, I couldn't sort of map the, the way he was and what had happened. And then uh, sometime after that, there was a, um, a DevOps uh, Days presentation in Tel Aviv, and a good friend of mine, Stephen Nelson Smith, uh, one of the you know, sort of co-founders among uh, a bunch of us of the DevOps movement. Ten minutes into a presentation, he says, "By the way, I almost committed suicide last year." And you know, so everybody sort of the the room dropped to sort of the floor. And after thing, I went up and hugged him. and was almost crying and. Like buddy, and you have to call me. And then, um, and then I the sort of the third thing that really sort of got me motivated to write this this presentation and think about burnout a lot harder was um, there was a young man, uh, Carlos Flores, um, who I'd gotten to know. I, every year I'd go to uh, um, DevOps as part of Scale, which is the large Los Angeles. I think it was the largest sort of uh, independent uh, Linux uh, expo or whatever. And I'd been going there for a few years and I've gotten to meet this couple of people, but this, this young, beautiful young man who, you know, we sort of have these discussions. I was sort of mentoring him. He was talking about maybe starting his own business. And I show up in the 2015 year and, um, you know, the, the opening presentation 
they show a picture of his tweet stream and say he's committed suicide. And I, I just, I, I, I just lost it. I just, I mean, the whole thing sort of, and so I wrote this blog article and I'll put a link to it. And, um, and, and the response to the blog article was just insane. It was an insane horde. I was, but it was just, um, I, I, there was comments. I've got emails from people. So many people reached out to me. So the next couple of years, I did presentations on burnout and one of the stories um, is that, uh, you know, people were sort of asking me, hey, could you do a keynote on burnout? And I, I did that a bunch of times. And I was in um, uh, basically Amsterdam. So I was doing a DevOps Days Amsterdam keynote. And, and I just finished. And one of the things I said in the article was, if, if uh, in fact, I'll sort of pull it up and sort of, so, you know, read it out loud, right? And says, um, the, um, whew, it's pretty long. Um Sorry for the delay here. Um, so, um, yeah, I'd really like to figure out a way to beat this carriage out to, um, you know, um, and, and so, again, I know that it's not simple and there's no way anyone can be a beacon for this horrible disease called suicide. Um, this, um, I just, uh, I, I did a call out. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, this is live, live TV. Uh, I also, uh, I go on a limb and say that anyone who is in arm's length of the story who happened to be, feel overwhelmed, I beg of you to please call me. I'm only a tweet away. And so um, I'm coming off stage and I, like it was one of those ones where I was just sort of dry. I had gotten in late last night from the, from the U.S. And all I could think about was getting to the sort of water fountain or the water you know, cold water. So I'm literally sort of beating the crowd out, figuring, you know, and I'll talk to everybody once they get water. And as I'm going to thought, is this young man and he says, uh, John, can I talk to you? And I'm like sort of waving my finger to say, hey, I'll be back in five minutes, right? Which actually by that time the crowd would have been out there and I wouldn't have saw him. And as I was just about to turn from my sort of tear in his eye, and I thought, oh my goodness. So I, you know, so I stopped, froze in my tracks. We went, you know, actually went outside and we talked for about an hour. And and I thought like you know, what a hypocrite I would be if I make this statement and like, I would have blew, blew him off. Right. Like, um, I don't know what I resolved there. I just listened for about an hour. Um, but then I made this sort of commitment to myself that like, if, if I'm going to make those statements, I need to be ready to respond. So like I said, this gentleman, and you'll see, you'll hear the first part of that here in, in, in a few minutes, but, um, and, uh, you know, and, and he reached out to me. So uh, we had a great couple of great conversations and he was brave enough to come on, um, on and do a podcast to tell his story. So you hear that. The one thing I was trying to think is like, I, not that everything on this podcast has to be sort of quote unquote Deming related, but, uh, you know, I went and I tried to see first if like there was any sort of correspondence between Deming and sort of anything burnout related. And like, you know, I didn't look incredibly hard um you know, there might be something in the library of congress but i didn't find anything at surface level but um but the but what i did remember is um you know if you start thinking about um some of the burnout stuff so i've gotten to know uh christina Mazalek, and i'll put some links to this she's pretty much the the um the leading sort of expert on organizational burnout um she actually you know, the, uh, what's called the MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory, which was sort of the first canonical test for so canonical, canonical uh, sort of 
yeah, just canonical burnout or, or occupational burnout, you know, uh, Maslow's burnout inventory. Uh, she later created something called a work-life um, sort of balance or work-life. And, uh, and I had done some presentations a while back about how the work-life, it's like the six steps of work-life. And, and so those are sort of control, reward, community, fairness, and values. Um, and, and clearly, I, you know, those are, um, if you sort of, I'm not going to go too deep into them right now, but like those are this balance between you sort of the people you work for and who you are. And they're all generally any patterns of what we consider sort of DevOps patterns. And, and you know, it's it's a real easy step to sort of look at Deming's 14 points and see how they bleed with this work-life balance. You know, just a couple like fairness is one of the work-life balance. So, you know, sort of Deming's think, thoughts on system thinking, the red beam experiment, um, sort of values, joy of work, reward, you know, the way Jimmy Deming thought about. So anyway, all that said, I think there is a very interesting conversation to have about Deming and burnout. Um, and if anybody who sort of knows of any material that Deming specifically um, expressed or, you know, I, you know, here's the bottom line. Deming was clearly a humanist. Um, he clearly expressed his idea about the, the, his thoughts about the workers and joy of work and, um, and the meaning and the value. So clearly um, maybe, you know, in his time, people were not talking so much about burnout but um, certainly if he was alive today, there was no doubt he would be right in the middle of this conversation. So anyway, I hope you, uh, I would say enjoy, but um, you know, uh, the, the gentleman that you're going to sort of meet in this here momentarily uh, was incredibly brave to talk about a story of literally not too long ago where he was literally, and he says this, you know, sort of in sort of suicidal ideation um, by the time I spoke to him, he'd already been through some therapy and some solutions, but he really wants to get out and tell his story. And so we decided to do a, a podcast. And you know, again, it's pretty long, so I'll break this into uh, two podcasts. And uh, again, the, the, the whole goal is to, again, elevate the conversation about burnout so people can know there are at least two of us. And I know there's a lot more in our community that are willing to listen to um you know, that we don't, this is just a terrible, terrible disease. You know, we watch young people, in our community just basically disappear from, it just, it, it breaks my heart. It breaks everybody's heart. So, so anyway, um, yes, uh, burnout and uh, you'll see, we'll see you in a minute. <laughs> this is John Willis again. Um, this is a profound podcast. So we've got a special um, uh, um episode today and uh it'll it, it'll be pretty interesting um I, i'll just give a little intro um over the holidays uh, my family and i we went to uh we did a whole florida trip for like the two weeks you know we went down to the keys we we did some it was good it was a good weekend but we also were we're sort of disney geeks so we always spend a week whenever we're down there at, at disney properties and uh so um and my family and i my two boys right we were uh, the only thing about Disney that's interesting is your kids never grow up. <laughs> you know, my oldest is 24, my youngest is 19, and they still will not, like, they'll drop everything to go to Disney. But anyway, I digress. Um, we were going out to Epcot, like it was about eight, nine in the morning or something like that. And then uh, I saw a text, and um, it was a text about somebody who looked like they were sort of looking for help, particularly on burnout. And I'll, I'll talk a little later about, you know, how, um, 
I personally take this incredibly serious. Um, you know, when I say to people, um, if you're within the listening radius of me and you need to talk to somebody, don't hesitate. So I've, I've learned to make sure that I don't ever sort of miss, you know, don't be a hypocrite. Anyway, um, this gentleman reached out to me and, you know, the, it was sort of good news. Um, uh, but, you know, because he had been through a lot of this stuff already, but he wanted to talk to me. And uh, anyway, I'll shut up. Jesse, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, my name is Jesse Getze. And uh, first of all, I got to take a step back and just thank you, John, for uh, taking that call that day, right? Step away from your family. Um, you know, it, it, it re I relate with uh, Disney. Uh, I'm also a Disney geek uh, as well as my family. So um, taking that time just to, you know, respond to me, uh, extremely important. Um, definitely, you know, had some things that I wanted to talk about and discuss. So just a little bit of background about myself. I uh, grew up uh, and still currently live in the upper Midwest, just outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I am on the Wisconsin side. Um, I have a wonderful wife, Shantina, uh, three great kids. Uh, my oldest is 21, Terrell. Uh, I've got a, a middle uh, son, uh, Gavin, who's 16, and my daughter, Macy, who's 14. Um, so again, like, you know, family is definitely important to me. A um, little bit about my career. So I took a took an internship as a computer operator intern um, right out of high school. And that was like a, kind of my first exposure to tech uh, back in 1997 and really like just grew uh, pretty quickly into that space and, and found it relevant for what I was kind of seeking at the time. So held many different roles, you know, mainframe to distributed systems, uh, ultimately into automation and uh, cloud technology. And I think it was probably around 2014 working in an automation role. I was really hovering both sides of that uh, that legacy culture, right, between dev and ops and um, just realizing how much friction there was there between the two parties. And, you know, just kept thinking myself over and over again, like, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way to, you know, to hand off work, to communicate and to reduce that, that friction uh, that was there. And that's when I found DevOps, right? So um, I could go on and on. That's not the... The discussion here about uh, DevOps, but just the things that I started learning from 2014, you know, at the Enterprise Summit and the podcasts and in the readings, uh, you know, that everybody was uh, really posting. So a couple of years late to the to the DevOps game, but um, I, I started really discovering that I had a passion for helping people, right, and helping teams within uh, organizations and like helping them break down organizational barriers. Um, helping teams and individuals uplift through immersive learning within their own uh, team dynamics and, and organizational constraints. And a couple things, I'll talk a lot about like some of these seeds um, today, I think, you know, psychological safety. I, I don't know when I first heard that, um, that term being used, if it, you know, uh, but I, I do remember a specific podcast. Um, it was one of yours. Uh, it was you, Damon and Courtney. Uh, back in 2017, um, and while the talk was not specifically focused on that, it was just, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I, I listen to it, you know, 
Courtney's okay. a great guest. I gotta say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just get Courtney, get Courtney to read the uh, the yellow pages, and it's it'll right, awesome. right. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. In in fact, I, I remember that day specifically when I first listened to that podcast. I had like a thirty minute drive into the office, and and uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think that podcast roughly an hour, right? And so um, I missed my exit intentionally and just kept driving <laughs> right, to listen to the podcast and finish it, but. Um, back to the psychological safety, it was kind of dropped in there for sure. And so, again, I don't know if that was the first time I heard it, but I started thinking, like, what does that mean? And what does that mean in organizations and, and the organization I was with? Um, and I didn't have a true definition of, you know, how to start talking about that, uh, but it did plant a seed. Um, so that that continued really 2014 to present. Right. It just really had this passion around uh, helping people. Um, and then. Um, you know, as of as, as of late, I took on a, a new role as a consultant, um, running some dojos with Leatrio, and uh, really focused again on that on that passion of helping others. Um, you know, in, in, regardless of the industry. So, um, so just to sort of note, I I was an advisor uh, for Leatrio before I came the Red Hat, and I got to say, you know, shout out to Chris Blackburn. I mean, not only are you guys top notch technical. Uh, he's one of those top-notch humans as far as like, you know, and, yeah. and you know, part of your story, we even, you know, sort of, even though I knew he was a great guy, but part of your story even sort of, you know, yeah. enforced. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, really, you know, speaking of Chris, just uh, I'll, I'll, you know, talk a little bit about what he's done for me uh, specifically. Um, maybe when we get into a little meat, to, uh, the meat sure. of uh, the talk here, but I think, you know, working, working with Chris has really enabled me to discover a, a new passion around mental health awareness. Right. And that new passion really stemmed from something that I experienced recently. So, so that was the thing that sort of cut a point. I mean, not, not to be sort of trite, but like things are good. Like if on the surface level, you know, you're in fact, it's kind of interesting. Your background is very similar to mine. I, I guess you look a lot younger than I do, but um but the yeah, mainframes and like transition over from legacy. That's literally my sort of career. But yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, things are good. You know, I, I saw pictures of your family all, you know, really good looking family. You know, you, you know, in our industry and, you know, especially what you do, we make pretty good money. Um, you know, so like I, I say this, obviously, and you know, I have empathy, but like, what's the problem? Yeah, <laughs> you're right. What's the problem? Right. I have all these things. You know, like I like I discussed, my my family, my beautiful wife, and you know the great kids have some you know pretty solid friends. Um, spent a lot of time in tech, and and you know have been successful at, at basically everything that I've I've done uh, with my career. Um, you know, I can go on and on. You know, and I say this stuff humbly. Uh, you know, the houses and properties and recreational land that I've owned. Um, you know, I've had some successes with small businesses that I've been able to sell off and. Like you said, we, you know, um, we, we make some money in, in tech, um, you know, and that's really led to a, a lot of travel. Like my family and I love to travel. We love to go to Disney and, and uh, just, you know, create those new experiences. And so, you know, what are these things that I'm grateful for, but I'm still having some problems, right? I mean, it, it, it's, you know, from the outside in, like you said, it's, you know, what's wrong with, you know, what could be wrong with you? Right. You have all these great things in your life and, you know, things that I am grateful for, uh, things that do make me happy um, and make others happy around me. But 
I started experiencing something different. Um, you know, I, I was kind of in this pursuit of happiness, meaning that I, I really was looking for happiness as a constant state. Right, right. I wasn't getting there. Right. I mean, I, I would experience a, a you know a win and I'd feel happy, and then on to the next where I'm not happy. I I have to you know um, re, remain in control and and you know go on to the next thing, and never finding comfort or peace of mind. You had mentioned so, something uh, that you called surface acting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So getting into, you know, where I was just, just a few months ago, I mean, this is, you know, peel off the bandaid that, that sore is still there. Mm. You know, all these things that I should be grateful for and happy for, I wasn't feeling that I was in this storm of emotions, you know, feeling empty and lost and confused and, you know, my self-worth wasn't there. Um, ultimately I, John, I was in a place where I didn't want to be alive anymore. I mean, this meant death to me. Um, you know, talking, uh, this is tough. Uh, yeah, no, you know, it's, it's even tough to be in them. You know, when we had the pre-call on this, it was a lot easier, I think, you know, but you're right. This is, but go on, but you, this, but we know this is what we're doing this because we want to help other people. Yeah. Right. So experiencing suicidal ideation, you know, how did I get from, you know, all these great things down to where I felt that, you know, my family and friends and my colleagues, you know, would be better without me. And it was just a really tough place to be. And then you think back, like, you know, and I've been asked the question, like, why didn't we see this? Right. Right. And that's where that surface acting, I was on a train back from San Diego after dropping my son off and, uh, uh, to the airport. And I was reading this article uh, around surface acting and I didn't really truly know what it was, but it was like intentionally masking those emotions. Right. So every day that I would show up to, to work every day that I'd show up to a family function, uh, you know, putting the lipstick on, if you will, like, you know, putting that mask on, you know, if you would have pinged me in Slack and said, Hey, how's your day going? two hours earlier, I could have been laying in bed with extreme anxiety, not knowing how I'm actually going to get out of bed and go to work, but I will respond to you. I'm doing great this morning with exclamation points and smiley faces, you know? Um, and it, it really, you know, in hindsight, that was taking an emotional toll on me. All right. That's not a safe place to be. And you have to balance it, right? We're professionals. We come to the office, you know, we can't necessarily spew all our shit on people, um, but completely covering it up takes its toll. Right. right? Yeah, we'll see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd asked you when we, we discussed, you know, and I was going to ask you this later, but I think it's appropriate now is, you know, I, I, you know, before I came to Red Hat, you know, I did a little bit of work with Lee Tro where I went on a couple of consulting gigs with uh, a couple of your guys and, you know, and I, you know, and you know that, for people who've done consulting, you know, sometimes you get paired up with somebody you don't know what that very well, but like, you know, Monday night, you're sort of, you know, feeling each other out. Like if, if the people are interesting by Tuesday and Wednesday, you're sort of best friends and you're, right. you're sort of, you know, it's that kind of interesting thing that, you know, like, and uh, you know, like, um, and so you get sort of deep later in the week as you go to dinner every night, you're waking up in the morning, you're having breakfast. And, and I was wondering that, you know, um, you know, like, you know, I think uh, one of the guys I did some work with was Casey. He's not with you guys anymore, but I was wondering if it was me and you, you know, and I sat there and we were like Wednesday or Thursday night, we'd gotten pretty deep in this stuff. And I'd asked you, you know, 
and, and, and you know, I know the first answer. If I would have said, you know, are you okay? You know, you would told me. Yeah, I would have said yes, right? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's that stigma that has lived with me, um, not being able to express myself, you know, um, very well. I mean, yes, it's easier in a one-on-one conversation, but um, the, maybe that feeling of being weak, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a man, we don't cry, you know, that type of thing. And I wasn't born, you know, I wasn't raised that way, but it was just, you know, something that, that I've kind of lived with. Um, well, we have memory muscle. I think we have memory muscle as sort of like, you know, um, a group or society or whatever. It's not just IT. It's anything like, you know, the thing when I first started researching burnout, you know, the idea that if you broke your leg in a skiing accident over weekend and came in on Monday, everybody like, Ooh, let me sign your cast. Let me sign your cast. <laughs> but like, if you came in yeah. and said, yeah, I saw a therapist on Friday. Be like, people like, Ooh, sorry. Got to oh, go back to work. Yeah. Right? Step away. Right. Step away from this guy. We have that kind of um, memory muscle, even if we want to try to be, you know, more um, sort of empathetic or more sort of educated or intellectual about the, the subject. Yeah. still in the back of our heads. We, you know, I don't really want to tell this guy, you know, right. I've known him for three or four nights. I think he could be a lifelong friend, but you know, uh, do I really want to open up and talk about this? Yeah. Right. How easy is it to talk about a physical ailment versus an emotional? Yeah, yeah. Ailment? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, I, it, there's actually you know, some really good data uh, from Osme, uh, open sourcing, uh, mental health illness, um, that I'll get into later. We'll put some links on that data. stuff too. Yeah. Good. You you had talked about um, so surface acting right and the toll it takes. It's not even just the fact that you're sort of doing it, but it's actually creating more energy and sort of you know leading or sort of driving this uh, the, you know, sort of vicious cycle. But one of the things we you talked to me about is this idea of and I think a lot of us you know, have this and you know um, you know I'm always battling with my wife about my weight and all right and i'm like honey i've got it and i don't have it <laughs> you know i'm terrible you know and but she'll be like did you take all your medicine today you know honey we gotta leave me alone you know we yeah. have these sort of control like we're in control yeah you know and you were telling me like this like how you know that was something that was fighting against you as well right this idea that sort of even when you started to realize you needed help the, yeah. the, that that sense of control was probably masking the real help you needed, right? No doubt. No doubt. Um, you know, and, you know, for everybody that, uh, you know, may intentionally listen to this, this talk, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are going to relate, you know, I mean, there's, there's this like weird balance that we have to say like, okay, you know, we're in control, right. We're, we're, we're in control. Like we, our motivation, if you will, right? Like we have to have some motivation, a level of motivation to continue learn new technologies, new tools, how to work with people, you know, and all that's important. And I think that's good. But when you entirely live off of self-propulsion and try to control the actions of others, try to control the outcomes of, you know, everything that you do without relying on, get spiritual for a second here, a greater, a greater power of some kind, right? Whether that's a group of individuals whether that's, uh, you know, um, a religion or the universe, whatever it may be, if you take that away and abstract it and live entirely off self-control, like I have done probably since the age of 15, you, you keep failing, right? And, and you don't allow yourself failure, right? Emotionally anyway, right? Yeah. So even though you're actually experiencing some of these, I think, you know, 
it, it just kept getting to failure. You know, like I, my, I was in control of my happiness is what I thought. Right. And so kept going, kept going. I, I knew I was going to get there sometime and just kept pushing along. And, you know, it just kind of that repeated behavior added to all those emotions, you know, and then covering it up, added even more, like right, you said, right. you know? And so the first step of like that control, letting go of that control, I had to, I had to admit to myself, you know, number one, you know, I'm in the depths, I'm in trouble here and I've got some serious problems. So admitting it to myself was kind of like step one of relinquishing that control in a way. And then I had to admit it to my family, my wife, you know, um, yeah. like, you know, all these things that I'm just kind of like buried in. And she actually gave me some pretty good advice. She's like, you know what, describe this as like the storm cloud, you know, of all these emotions, just reach up and grab one, right. And focus on just that one yeah, just for yeah. today. And while it's sound advice, I, I couldn't, I couldn't emotionally even grab one. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people can probably relate, like there's all this stuff just going on, regardless of all the things that we have, you know, the, the, the wife and the kids and the, you know, the travel and all this, the good stuff, you just kind of buried and you don't know where to start. Right. So going on uh, that loss of control, you know, it was, to me, it felt really risky, right. Uh, admitting it to somebody else, right. Cause I'm still in control. Right. Um, but <laughs> the end of October, probably November 1st, this is last year. So this is like you said, this is just last year. This is fresh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to admit to my employer. I had, I mean, I had Leatrio, right. I, I had to step away and I didn't know for how long. And, you know, that lack of, of control and knowing what the outcome may be. I didn't know if I was going to have a job when I came back, you know, so I went to uh, Chris Blackburn, uh, Jeremy Hayes, who heads up our people ops uh, role at Leatrio. And had to get into some of this with them a little bit, right? There's no expectations. They didn't request that I explain anything. Right, right. No, they just had to admit, you know, that that I was I was not in a good place. And from here, I didn't know. I mean, again, I didn't know, you know, am I gonna leave for a couple months or you know what that looks like? I, you know, I I just needed to do something. And to, you know, I shouldn't be astonished because we we know Chris and you know the you know, the people person that he is, but there was nothing (laughs) discouraging about the conversation. I mean, it was full support, you know, like the way that Chris described it to me is like, you need to take care of yourself, right? This is a minor blip in the road as far as your career goes or anything like that. And you will have a job. There's nothing that you need to be concerned with about that. And just really focusing on on prioritizing what I needed to do. Right. It's so it's great to see people walk the walk. You know what I mean? It's, you know, we get to sort of talk the talk all day long, all of us. Right. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying people aren't genuine who talk the talk. Right. Like, but, but it is heartwarming to sort of hear about somebody you have incredible respect for, you know, like what Chris did with you. Yeah. The walk. Right. So anyway, just, Again, we'll we'll stop fanboying Chris here now, but yeah, he you know he <laughs> yeah. he's a pretty special person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just to f- follow up that, I mean, th- I don't know how to truly pay it back. I, there's definitely not a request for me to to pay anything back to, right, to right, right. as far as you know, but just my thanks. You know, I mean, it's I don't know how to thank them enough. Uh, you know, Chris, Jeremy, 
the entire Liatrio team, you know, just amazing uh, in helping me through this. You were saying that um, as you were going through, like you sort of the, you know, how, the, the, the sort of how you lost control, you know, so you, you slowly were giving up the sort of the, the control, you know, rope, if you will. In other words, you sort of, your first thought was, sound to me like classic burnout. Okay, let me just get down on the beach, do some surfing, clear my head. You yeah. know, and then realize, you know, and again, I think that plays into people's first sort of assumption about burnout, that burnout is like something that sort of is this cloud. And then if you could do something like, you know, just rest or um, mm-hmm. surf, it will go away. You yeah. know, right. And then you <laughs> yeah. sort of told me that, like, then you went to another level and then finally you got to a place where, but anyway, I'll let you tell yeah. that story, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I mean, starting out. So like, you know, relinquishing some of that control, releasing some of that control, just, you know, admitting right to not only myself, but others, you know, uh, may seem very minor, but a big step for me. Um, my wife had recommended a wellness retreat. Right. So I was like, yeah. Right. Just like you said, like, you know, some relaxation and, and, you know, whatever. Well, we started, we started doing some research on, on wellness retreats and it was just kind of like overwhelming that all of our searches and everything led to Sedona, Arizona, right? So in Sedona, they have, uh, you know, the vortex where you can kind of get spiritual understanding and spiritual grounding. Um, and all these retreats, like three to five day retreats were really focused on, on that spirituality, um, that rest and meditation and yoga and crystals, right? I mentioned before this, these crystals, you go to any of these uh, shops or boutiques that they have there, uh, you know, 75% of them are, are selling crystals, you know, to resolve some kind of ailment. And the, the code I keep going with is there is not enough crystals in Sedona, Arizona to fix this mess. And, and, so, and the thing is, again, for, you know, when, there's no disrespect to people who uh, do find crystals. That sure. are, but your point was, you know, it wasn't a wellness center. It wasn't a crystal that had to be dealt with at this point. Right. You know? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I use some of these, uh, you know, the meditation and the yoga and all that right. stuff in my daily practice now. Um, and I'm not ruling out crystals, right? Something that I see. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. So going on to the, the you know, control, like it, releasing some of that, you know, what am I going to do? Um, am I going into um, like a psychiatric treatment? Like, and, and the first thought that I have in my head is like this hospital type setting, which is, you know, not what I want. I don't want, you know, like one Flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, I was just going to say, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. 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 We're all robed up and, you know, maybe some of us are strapped to beds and stuff like that. And it's like, that's not, that's not what I'm seeking, right? I'm still in control here. And so what am I going to do? We talked a little bit about surfing. Like, this is what I'm going to do, right? I'm still in control. I can rely on some of my finances to go down to Southern California. I'm going to surf every day. I'm going to rent the beach house and I'm going to have my own doctors and therapists come in and, you know, work with me one-on-one. I didn't want to group setting, you know, I wanted the focus to be on, on me and me alone. And I thought it was interesting. So like, you know, sort of that I, there I psychoanalyze, but sort of analyze is that you, you like, I could see myself in this, like that sort of, okay, I get here. I am going to get therapy, but I'm going to tell them. How to do it.